0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, I've got a question for you Gear 30 dorks out there. Many of us will pour over product reviews of skis or bikes or splitboards or trail running gear. So why is it that when it comes to our sunglasses or goggles, we often just grab whatever is cheap or whatever we think looks cool? And I do maintain that there are a lot of us who do either go for cheap or cool looking when it comes to eyewear. So consider this episode the pool break for some more conversations about optics here at Blister and our guest today. Jolbo's CEO, Dave Cruthers is going to give you a whole lot to think about and perhaps reconsider from whether or not you ought to be purchasing polarized lenses given the activities you actually participate in to clarifying whether the proper term is photochromic or photochromatic. This is an important one. And then we talk about some of the real world practical palpable differences that exist among different types of lenses. First of all, we officially launched our Open Mic series on Blister, and if you read my introduction to the series, well, then you know that the first installment of Open Mic was written by Angel Collinson. That went up on our website on Tuesday, and if you have not checked it out, Angel does what Angel always does, which is just impressed with her particular brand of thoughtfulness. And it is a terrific piece that every single one of you listening to this needs to read. So you can find it on our website, open mic, Angel Collinson to kick things off. We're very excited about it. Now, speaking of kicking things off, I hope you all have had a chance to check out our new crafted podcast. That new podcast is already off to a terrific start. I promise if you are a fan of Gear 30, you are going to find the conversations that we're having over on Crafted very interesting in their own right because we're talking about gear and design and making stuff and philosophical approaches to making stuff. So for all Gear 30 fans, Crafted is a very natural extension to the kinds of conversations we have here. So check that out. And we have another great conversation coming up this Wednesday with the founder of The Best Brewery in Park City. That's all I'm going to tell you for now. So anyway, subscribe to Crafted if you haven't already because we are just getting started. And we have some monster episodes in store for you in the very near future, and we have more absolutely outstanding episodes in store for you in the very near future. I'm very pleased with how Crafted is getting going right out of the gate. So those are just a couple of the new things we have going on over at Blister, but for now, let's talk optics and eyewear with Dave Crothers of Jolbo. Here we go. Well, I am very happy to be here in Burlington, Vermont at Jolbo's US headquarters with Dave. Dave, first, thanks for having me here. Very cool to see this space.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming.
0: What is your position here at Jolbo?
1: So I'm the CEO of Jolbo Inc, Jolbo USA. Um, I've been with the company for almost eight years now,
0: yeah. Eight years. Before we get going, I think it would be a good place to start to have you just talk a bit about the history of Jolbo. Sure. Turns out not a super short history.
1: No. Um uh, Jolbo is 130 plus years old, almost 135. Um Jolbo was founded back in 1888 by Jules Bode. So, you combine the, the two names, Jules Bode, Jule Jolbo, you get Jolbo. Um, started in the Chamonix Valley and we really specialized in, you know, like high mountain, high protection and Jules Bow designed the first uh, mountaineering sunglasses, essentially to protect the crystal miners that were, you know, traveling across the glacier in in Chamonix to mine for, for crystals. Crystal miners. Hmm. Yeah. And then the rest is history, you know, our glasses have been the, to the top of uh, Everest, you know, thousands of times um, across the globe. And, and now, you know, over the last you know, 10 years or so, we've been really pushing into the performance side, you know, cycling, trail running, et cetera.
0: How does one get to become the CEO of Joel Bo?
1: Yeah, well, that's a, it's an interesting story because, you know, I started with Joel Bo, my, my background is is like digital marketing. You know, I, I started a, a climbing website called Climberism, which is no longer. Um, that got picked up by How Land Publications, and I was managing all of their digital media. So, website, backcountry.com and alpinist.com and climberism.com. And, uh, you know, I kind of got a little burnt out on the editorial side. And, you know, one day I shot... The old CEO Nick Yardley, uh, a Facebook message, and and him and I had talked about going ice climbing for, you know, several years, and finally I was like, hey, let's let's go, and uh, he just so happened to have a position for a marketing manager open, and uh, I got the job, and I you know, started working with Nick, worked with him for like three years, and then he moved on to a new company. And uh, so Jolbo started their search for a new CEO. And, uh, you know, I like to think that I got the position because I, want, I was, I was the, the most hungry. I really wanted the position. I thought, you know, I knew the brand, um, I knew what the company needed, and I was really working hard with HQ to develop, you know, the next, the next version of what, Joel, what I thought Jolbo could be. So I worked closely with them under Nick's umbrella. And uh, so when Nick left, it was an opportunity that I was like, okay, this is, this is my time. This is, this is my chance. And uh, so I threw my hat in the ring and the French team were in the US and they uh, brought me into Nick's old office and they were like, Thanks but you're too young. You don't have the experience. And I was like, okay, that's, it's, it's done. It's over. You know, like I'm not going to get the position. And so they, they went on for about six months of, of hunting for a new CEO. And at that time, like sales were slipping, you know, the reps were kind of doing the rep thing. And so I jump. I just jumped in. And so I started doing the, the sales and the marketing and, uh, you know, started building a business plan. And, you know, after about six months of interviewing uh, potential CEOs, and they actually gave me the, the opportunity to talk with some of the candidates and such. And um, they narrowed it down to two and then one. And then ultimately that one declined after, I like to think, after my meeting with that person. And uh, so I, I built a business plan after that person declined, Flew to France for the sales meeting, presented the business plan. And a week later, they said, okay, we're going to give you a chance. Huh. And I, I had zero experience. I didn't know. We I, I I th- won't I was,
0: tell anybody. It's just I me and you right now.
1: The marketing manager. You know, I, I, I had three years of, of marketing manager experience. I didn't know how to read a balance sheet. I didn't know how to read an income statement. I didn't know what margins were. And so I kind of got thrown into business school. And, uh, so, you know, here we are today, um, and, you know, I, I relish the opportunity every day.
0: Absolutely. It's really interesting. I, I think I will always be fascinated by stories of how somebody got to their current position. And I just was having a conversation recently with a very good friend of mine who was applying for a job where it. Seemed like they really wanted the applicants to have a law degree. And she's like, I haven't been to law school. And she was sounding very apologetic about that. And I was just like, don't apologize about your background. You are bringing things to the table that I guarantee necessarily some of these other candidates won't have cannot have they chose to go to law school and i think what you just said is nice in a nice reminder along those lines like somebody might be thinking like of course i can't apply for that job i don't know how to read a balance sheet it's like yep yeah, but you bring other things to the table and you better be able to speak to what you in fact are bringing to the table and i'd rather have somebody hungry and sharp and able to learn than somebody who has the frankly easier stuff on paper that like you can learn how to do the work of a CEO. That's actually the easy part.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and and it's and the team here too represents like everything that we're 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 striving for and building for. Um, you know, it's you know if I can give any advice to anybody, it's you know. You have to be hungry. You have to be willing to put in the work, because if you don't, if you just half-ass your way through it, you're you're never going to succeed. You know, like what is your goal? You know, like you you have to be willing to to make sacrifices to get there. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I certainly feel like I I got lucky to to be here, but you know, at the same time, I I, I look back on that and look back on the years that it took me to get here. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, sleepless nights, the mailings of t-shirts, like sitting in in my living room, you know, licking envelopes. Um, you know, those are, I look back and I'm like, that's what it takes. You know, like, that's what it takes to, to, to accomplish goals.
0: Got to lick the envelopes. You got, I mean,
1: I've licked a lot of (laughs) envelopes.
0: (laughs) What's your sports background?
1: Um, climbing was, um, you know, I was a, a big climber, not very good. You know, I'll say that not very good, but I loved it.
0: That was your kind of first love of all these different mountain sports and yada, yada climbing,
1: climbing. And then, yeah, I always said, I'm never going to ice climb. That's stupid. Yeah. And, (laughs) and I got into it. I loved it. I got into it and I got so comfortable and and I'm not advocating for solo climbing. You know, everybody has their own boundaries and, and safety levels. I just really got into the the love of being out in the mountains alone and in the winter. There's something like there's something nostalgic about that, that, you you know, you think back on, you know, all the history of of climbers in New England, especially. And, you know, just to kind of follow in their footsteps. Um, it, that was something that like meant a lot to me. And then I got into a climbing accident and crushed my foot. And, and you know, it wasn't it wasn't good. That whole experience was, I was up at Katahdin and a refrigerator sized rock came down. um, Had it rolled over me, I probably wouldn't be here today. And so two surgeries later to kind of, you know, put my foot back together. uh, You know, I, I tried to climb a little bit after, uh, but I was like, okay, I think it's, it's time to, to try something new.
0: Where were you this when a the rock dropped or rolls where you act you weren't actually climbing
1: yeah we were um we were up in chimney pond you know kind of making our way up if if you're familiar with katahdin it's it's really loose it's really a scree you know there's a lot of scree fields mm. um and th- i'd say the most technical part of that whole climb is actually getting to the coyote face um and we didn't make it uh, you know because the rock came down on us, you know, we were trying to figure out a new, a, a new way up or like a way around, a shorter way around. And uh, yeah, I just made a, a, you know, a bad judgment to call, you know, essentially just kind of finding a, a way around the, the long way. And there was a, a rock that looked like, I mean, it looked like it fit into the cliff face. Mm-hmm. And I just touched it, barely touched it with my hand, and it just came down. I pushed it away from me, and we rode down this this uh, this slab for about fifteen feet. It hit my foot, and it went one way. Luckily, I went the other. And then my buddy had to go down to the ranger station, call in a helicopter. Big old Black Hawk came down and uh, picked me up. Yeah.
0: So his foot was smashed.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember being in the Millinocket Hospital. They put this like little Chinese finger trap yeah. contraption on my foot, and they were tra- all five of my toes were dislocated, a bunch of crushed bone. It was uh, it was like six months before I could actually be on the foot again. So two surgeries later, um, you know, I got a pretty nasty scar and a bunch of hardware in there. So I decided after that. You know, maybe I should try something new. What year was this? Two thousand
0: nine, two thousand ten, something okay. like that. So it was after this that you started riding bikes. Yep, you had you you were a climber. You weren't also riding.
1: You know, Tyler, our sports marketing manager, I used to work with him at Backcountry Magazine. He was the former editor there, and uh, he just he got me into riding. Those guys would go out and, on lunch loops and. And so I got a, you know, a crappy old, you know, bike, uh, aluminum bike, super heavy. And I'd go out and ride with those guys and they would just hammer me, kill me on the climbs, whatever ride we would go out and do. And so I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to, I'm going to start training. I'm going to get better than them. And I got into mountain bike racing. So yeah, I've been doing, I, I, I just had a a child about two years ago. So, you know, my priorities have changed a little bit, but prior to that, it was, it was fun, you know, like racing with Tyler, racing with everybody's surreal. It was, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, just had a, had a blast learning how to ride technical trails and, and ride fast and it, it got really addicting. Um, but, uh, you know, then COVID hit and, we had a we had a child like one month into it, you know. Priorities changed a yeah. little bit. So, yeah.
0: though a quite ironic part of today's story, you were just in Crested Butte. Yes, which I learned this morning. Yes,
1: I was there yesterday. You
0: were there yesterday? Huh. Weird. Uh, I've been silly me. I came out to the East Coast. Could have just you know, like literally walked outside of our headquarters and would have caught you riding the bike park at CB yesterday. Maybe the most impressive thing I've learned about you so far, though, not the getting the CEO thing, you know, when you weren't familiar with balance sheets, sure, that you were riding Psycho Rocks on a Trail 429. I think that's the most impressive thing I've heard about you so far. I, I personally would not do this. So, uh,
1: yeah, no, it was, it, it's, you know, coming from, from New England, you, you get a wide variety of things. You, you know, especially when you're cross-country mountain bike racing. Yeah, you have to do a lot of yeah, things on, totally. on, you know, <laughs> you have to actually know how to ride. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that was one of the, the most fun things about learning how to cross country mountain bike races, you know, you have to learn how to ride yeah. a bike. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so, you know, no matter what is sort of thrown, I'm a little rusty today, um, but. You know, really no matter what is thrown my way or or you know, I'd say any of my friends' way or any good mountain biker, you know, you can kinda pick your way through it if you if you come from a hundred mil, you know, light cross-country bike. Yeah,
0: totally agree. Totally agree. I do not come from that background. (laughs) So I really like modern suspension and geometry and I find all the cheat codes. I'm learning as many as I can.
1: I'm learning to appreciate it every day.
0: So We're going to talk more about Jolbo in particular, but give us a little bit of the state of the union of the eyewear industry. I have a hunch that many people might have a better handle on, say, the bike industry or the ski industry or something than they might on the eyewear industry. So what should we know? How do you see this industry today? It's a good question. Um,
1: I see it as misinformed, Because just like a lot of industries, um, it's heavily surrounded by marketing, you know, and you have major companies out there that have just, I mean, they have a a marketing budget so much larger than Jolbo's. They can communicate um, about anything and make it big. Um, I think one of the, the major components of the eyewear industry that people just don't understand is the difference between a Jolbo lens and like what is on the market today f- from most companies. Yep. You are know, like the Smiths of the world, uh, the Oakleys of the world, the 100%s of the world. Those guys are selling a polycarbonate lens that is, you know, in simple terms, a plastic lens. Um, Jolbo specializes in photochromic lenses um, and we use a different material, it's called Tribex. Um, it's more durable. Uh, non-temperature sensitive. Joel has the widest photochromic range in the market. Fastest reaction time on the market. There are a lot of benefits to our lenses that a lot of people don't understand. Like, you know, do you want to do you want to spend your time in the field swapping out lenses when you can have a photochromic lens that works faster than it'll take you to stop take out an extra lens. Put your other lens, you know, in your backpack or wherever you're storing them, if you even have them, and then continue down the trail, whether you're skiing or riding or trail running, whatever you're doing. Um, so I think the marketing has really misinformed consumers that you know, like I need to swap out lenses and that polycarbonate, like the, people just don't they don't
0: question it. Why do you think that is? Be- because right, I mean i I constantly say. On blister like i would rather ski in good light than on good snow like i want to be able to see right sure and i know how to handle like bad snow sure but bad light good snow and bad light i'm still a disaster you know sure i i don't actually know especially when so many people will spend believe me, I know hours and hours and hours researching that bike, researching those skis or what tech binding to get or whatever. I'm not sure that there is the same level of obsession when it comes to optics. And I don't know why that's the case. Um,
1: I will say there are some people. Out there, there are there. some, I'm sure. And, and we get we get those phone calls all the time. Um, but I, I agree 100%. It's, it's funny to me because people will go in and they'll spend thousands, tens, 12, $15,000 on a bike, do the research, you know, talk to people. And then they'll put the cheapest sunglasses or goggles on their face. And I'll see people out skiing or riding in like a super dark lens. Or they're in the woods, their sunglasses are off, you know. And they just don't understand that there's technology out there that will allow them to keep riding or keep skiing or snowboarding. And they don't have to take off their goggles. They don't have to swap out lenses. It's it's the it's the most baffling thing to me because I see it all the time,
0: you know. So maybe it is the case that people just assume kind of for the most part, all lenses are the same. Maybe and then the next level, so one, people are just like, whatever, you cover you put something over your eyes to cover them, that's kind of where they are. Next step is like, maybe I don't want to have a very dark mirrored lens on a super socked in or overcast day. So that would be like the next step. But then when we start getting into like one company's, you know, low light lens versus another's, that's a whole nother level perhaps of education or or maybe people still do just assume like, I don't know, there's maybe one or two factories in the world producing all of this stuff. So it is kind of the same we're just trying to identify right now maybe why
1: yeah I know that most of the lenses are coming from a handful of uh, factories in the world um, you know you've got Luxottica that has really swooped in and purchased you know a lot of of the industry um, and then you've got uh, Sffalo which owns Smith um, you know you've you've got a lot of these huge conglomerates out there that own the majority of the market uh, which is which is you know, fine. You know, it's, that's just the nature of the business. On the lens side, um, most, you know, most lenses are, they're the same. You know, Oakley's low light lens is the same as Smith's low light lens. What it comes down to really is it comes down to, does the customer feel cool in it? You know, am I going to go out and do I, does it fit my image? You know, because I wear in general, is a very it's it's on your face it's a very personal experience like it's the first thing you see you know um and so for jolbo that's what we really focus on is is our lenses forward we try and communicate about our reactive lenses and educate the consumer on the benefits of the reactive lens and then the customer can choose what frame they want you know if they want the serious goggle which is our cylindrical flat lens style um or our fury on our sunglasses side, which is cylindrical it 's a more moto style more larger frame we we try and guide the customer like what do you want do you want to be you know in and out of the woods do you want to be low light do you do you mostly ride at night you know you have a, a wide variety of frames that you can choose from, but what lens so we try and guide the customer into the lens that is going to best fit what they what they do what the activities that they participate in. Um, and you know, I, I would say that's where Julbo really shines is is our lens technology because it's we offer you know really one lens that's gonna that's gonna cover a wide variety of, of weather conditions. Whether it's at night, we have our, our clear to dark. We have a new lens coming that you know you, we can talk about you know down the road. And you know, if you don't need a completely clear to dark lens. Um, we have, you know, a high contrast lens. We have a light amplifying lens. It really just comes down to what your your what you prefer. Do you prefer an amber tint? Do you prefer a yellow tint? Um, so we basically have one lens for for anybody that, that calls us. Um, and so I think that's really where Joel Bell specializes is, is our lens technology. And when you really dive into it, you have our lens and you compare it to our competitors lens as soon as the customer gets used to our photochromic lens it does the work for you you don't need to tr- swap out lenses it's really difficult to go back to a, a polycarbonate lens unless you're just you know happy riding in a clear lens it doesn't matter if it's super bright out you know or you're going into the woods if if you don't care about you know lens tint whatsoever Um, you know, if you're going into the mountains of Colorado, I would say, you know, you're probably going to need a pretty dark lens, you know, on snow and such. But, um, if you don't care about that stuff, you know, Joel was not for you. Mm. Um, but what we try and, and really educate the customer on is the benefits of our photochromic, our reactive lens, because it's, it, as soon as you get used to that technology, it's really difficult to go back to a polycarbonate lens. Because what are you going to do? If it's sunny out and you're going in and out of the woods, what are you going to do? You're going to stop as soon as you get to a field, throw in a dark lens, and then you go back into the woods, throw in a clear lens or a low light lens. Why not just have one lens that you can rely on that's going to react super fast? You don't need to worry about swapping lenses. They come with a lifetime guarantee. If it ever stops transitioning,
0: we'll replace it free of charge. Is there a lifespan on photochromic lenses or your photochromic lenses? Like, you know, lots of products, like no one buys a mountain bike and is like, this is the last mountain bike I will ever own, right? Like these things get beat up or degrade over time, whatever. What about when it comes to lens technology?
1: We guarantee that our photo, photochromic lenses will transition for the lifetime of that lens. Um, if you ever have any issues with it, we'll take a look at it. And we'll replace it free of charge. We guarantee that it'll, from day one to to year ten, it will transition the same speed. And if it doesn't for some reason, we'll we'll replace it. Is there um, shelf life of other photochromic technology? Absolutely. You know, if you if you take the layers, like you know, if you take Smith's photochromic lens that's just a transition that's just a a, a photochromic layer on the lens it's a cheaper technology there is a shelf life on it and it will it's the the photochromic range is also much much smaller Mm -hmm. yep more limited and those those will transition they're also temperature sensitive Um, they will transition over time They'll eventually pick like a VLT range or, or a category, uh, category two or category three, and it'll, it'll stay there. Um, same with, you know, many of our other competitors, Rudy project, Bole. Bole does use some, some different technology. Um, but their, their range is much smaller and their reaction time is much slower. So that's where really Joel Bell stands out is there is no shelf life
0: with our product. So can we talk a little bit about why there are these differences or how there are these differences among photochromic lenses?
1: Yeah, so it just comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, in our industry, it all comes down to margin. Yep. Um, You know, and, and the cheaper you can produce a product the higher the margin you can make. CEO, CEO (laughs) level knowledge over here. It it takes some time to learn that. Uh, No, but uh, it it all comes down to margin, you know, and at the end of the day, it just, I I, I get it in some regard, you know, it's cheaper to produce. They make a higher margin and they're able to market more, you know, and for us, we're, we're a small guy and our margins are much smaller because it's a more expensive product to make one of Joel lenses. It takes about 18 hours. It's, it's uh, cast mold injected, so that means that the 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 lens material gets gets injected into a cast mold, and it has to sit there. All the the imperfections come out of that cast um, process, and so it creates a, a very uh, simple. Uh, perfect lens essentially when you look at like a polycarbonate lens or like a polarized lens uh, a PC lens you can see the imperfections in it like if you look at it in in uh, different light with our our material the travix material it, you don't get those imperfections and so the th- that's the main benefit you know of, of our lens uh, material there are actual like live molecules in our in our lenses and so they, they react to the UV. So the the higher the UV, um, or the more intense the UV, the the more they react. And the darker they they, they the more they expand, which darkens the lens. With a, a transition lens, it's just a layer. It's UV activated and it gets dark. It takes a little bit longer to get dark, and uh, you just you don't get those the the the, the same. Uh, reaction with the transition lens that you do with a photochromic lens uh, with the Julbo's
0: technology. Can we define a couple terms here? Sure. And maybe these aren't even real words, but photochromatic. You've been saying photochromic. Should why would one say photochromatic? Is because we didn't go to good enough schools growing up or something like that? Photochromic, photochromatic. Let's just stick with those two terms.
1: I don't know. I don't know where photochromatic came from. I think it was, and, and, you know, we get it all the time with, with, with the Jolbo name. Um,
0: this isn't just me.
1: Yeah, 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 (laughs) no, no. we, we get it all the time. Um, I don't know where the, the, the term photochromatic came from, but it is, it's photochromic. That's the, the proper term. Um, and I think people just like Jolbo, you know, they'll, they'll call us and say, I've got. Ju- jubilo lenses or jubilee lenses or um, you know so that's just the nature of of humans you know they look at a word they they just they say however they can visualize it or whatever I think that's that's the nature of where photochromatic came
0: from but so this is a this is a good moment of education none of us should ever say according to you none of us should ever say photochromatic Correct. it is photochromic or you will sound like you haven't listened to Gear 30.
1: Yeah, it is it is a pet peeve of mine. Uh,
0: He's getting visibly ag- agitated, ladies and gentlemen. Uh,
1: I don't know why it, it, it pains me so much. I think it's the same as as when somebody says Jubilo, you know, the L comes before yeah. the B, you know? It's Julbo, it's not Jubilo, it's not Jubilee, it's not Jublo, <laughs> um, it's not photochromatic, it's photochromic. <laughs>
0: photochromic from jolbo correct yeah we got this so that literally is just a it is misspeaking correct okay Uh, and photochromic that is an industry-wide term yeah yeah so anybody who knows what they're doing in this industry yeah if you
1: if you see photochromatic printed anywhere just immediately just just
0: run away yeah run away (laughs) okay see we like these kinds of helpful tidbits so back to photochromic, can you talk at all about like when did photochromic technology sort of become a thing or what has the evolution of that looked like?
1: Yeah, I can, I can really only speak to my history with Jolbo because that's where I really started learning about the, the technology. Um, and, and honestly, I don't know like who was really doing it before Joel Bell was. I'm sure there were companies out there, um, but it's an, it's an expensive process to create a, a Trivex photochromic lens. Um, and and we really try and provide a technology that no one else has. You know, they may have access to different solutions, different formulas, but, you know, again, I want to reiterate that Jolbo has the fastest uh, reaction time on the market, non-temperature sensitive, um, lifetime guarantee on, on any of our technology. Um, and, you know, so the, the, the history for Jolbo was really, we, we were creating one lens that was uh, back of the day, if, if anybody, if, if any of the listeners um, no jail, but we used to name our lenses after animals. So our first uh, lens was the zebra lens and, you know, the zebra two to four. And that lens was really the first foray into like performance uh, photochromic lenses. So we, we did have frames that we were pushing for mountain biking, for, for mountaineering, um, for trail running as well. Because if you think about the Alps, if you think about Chamonix, that was really the focus of Jolbo, Um, and they wanted to offer a high protection lens. So if if they had climbers going into the mountains, they had that category four, so two to four. That category two to four, zebra two to four, um, they had that that range that offered protection in the mountains. And you know you've got the UTMB, which is the biggest trail running race in the world. Um, those guys are and 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 women are. Are also running in high alpine terrain, um, often you know getting glare from snow. So they also wanted to have that category four. But if the light got low, they wanted to have that lower category, that category two, so that way they could still see. And so that's that's like the the history of Joel Bow's lens because from there we did our our high mountain polarized, um, which we used to call the the chameleon. And then we really started really pioneering, um, you know, fast reaction time, non-temperature sensitive because we started producing goggles. So we wanted something that, that our skiers could be in the mountains and not have to worry about temperature sensitivity, um, at, at low visibility, you know, so that was really, that's really like the, where we, where we are today. And the, the new lens that's coming is, is gonna, I think really push the boundaries of,
0: of. Uh, performance sports really somebody who's listening to this might be like this dude keeps saying things like category five category two category four i don't know what that means you mind sort of sure talking about that a little bit
1: so a category is like a it is the european standard so we are accustomed at jolbo to talk category in the u.s it's vlt visible light transmission um, so each category has a range of vlt you know so like a, a category for our category for polycarbonate lens non-photochromic um, is five percent visibility vlt so it only lets in five percent of visible light and you know you in every 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 company out there has a different range of where their category really lies it's so not, there's
0: no industry standard per se that we're working off when it comes to yeah, that's
1: within a few percentage you know um so that's really where the, the categories fall into place you know like category one category two category three category four um and so within those categories, you've, you've got a, a variety of ranges for low light, you know, midday, all the way to like, you know, our category four lens is is super dark that you can take all the way to the
0: top of Everest. So, that's so there very- is no category five, like that like sheer, like we're just staring directly, like we take a spaceship in front of the sun and then just want to look at it the whole like yeah you know, four is our highest level of
1: i can't remember if category five or category six there's like a super dark category that you know welders use yeah you know yep. when you get that, gotcha. that super intense light that they need to be able to still see um but you know we don't we don't play there we don't we don't really deal you're with, not
0: making welding masks not, not yet. yet yet yeah yeah Performance
1: um, welding masks. You're welcome for that. Breathable. Yeah, yes. Yeah. No, that, so, you know, we have our, our lens guide on the, the website that breaks down, you know, all of our VLT ratings, uh, pair next to categories, et cetera. So
0: I want to switch up just a little bit. Polarized lenses, yes. true or false. Everyone should be in a polarized lens because they are simply better Sort of for everything than non-polarized lenses. False.
1: Okay. I'll go with a false. I I will I will say that to, it kind of depends, but I will say mostly false, um, and that's because again marketing. Right? People have this idea that I need to be in a polarized lens if I'm going outside. You know, because we, we get that question all the time. Unless you're on water, or unless you're really getting glare from from snow. Um, you don't need it. You don't need polarization. It's all polarization does is fight glare. That's it. So if you're walking down the street, you're not anywhere near water, you're not on snow, you don't need to spend the extra money in a lifestyle lens or, or frame to get polarization. You know, that's, that's just the, the short and skinny of it. You don't need polarization on the water. Absolutely you know, that's probably the best use case for a polarized lens. Um, in mountain biking, uh, and, and yeah, I would say in mountain biking, really, if you think about a polarized lens and like what it does to like certain surfaces that you're looking through, it really does tweak with you. So we don't offer it in any of our performance frames aside from our high protection um, lenses. And that's offer for that's that's to offer the selection for fishermen if they want you know fly fishing you know polarized photochromic lenses um and uh, anything like high alpine you know everest k2 etc
0: meaning you would want you would want polarized for i'm thinking of going to everest next month and then i'll follow that up with k2 i'm not going to do that but because you're at such an intensity and on snow like what is the
1: it's not a requirement but it does you know it does like it does fight the glare better than a, a standard lens um but again we have climbers that are going up into the high alpine uh environments without polarized lenses and they're just fine i think it just comes down to in that that case it just comes down to preference It does, like, especially on icy surfaces, it definitely does fight glare better than non-polarized lenses. But for, you know, for the general public, if you're just driving down the road, if you're just looking for a lifestyle glass that you can just,
0: you know, hang out in, you don't need the polarization, you know, save the dollars. Not trying to put words in your mouth. And if I'm only a mountain biker or only a trail runner, nowhere near... Snow and maybe only riding or running next to a lake or something. Like I honestly, even if I'm a very like high level runner or rider, happy to spend money on good technology. You'd still say this would be a time you might just go with the non polarized lens, and put your money in other parts of your gear or something. Absolutely. Okay, but those of us who, it's probably a lot of people listening to this are, say, both mountain biking and ski touring. Granted, usually only skinning up in sunglasses. I'm still throwing goggles on at the top personally, but if you're in that use case, well, I, I, I'll, I'm willing to invest in a nice pair of glasses, but I'm going to be mountain biking in them and doing some ski touring in them. Is that enough of a use case where you're like, I'd probably still steer you toward a non-polarized?
1: I'd still steer them towards
0: non-polarized, yeah. Yep, yeah.
1: it really, you know, again, it really comes down to water sports. And if you have light sensitivity and there's if you're going to be going by glaciers and, and ice where there's really a lot of, of reflective light, yeah, you don't need it. You really don't need it. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've heard I've heard people, you know, at, at different events and such come and say, well, I need polarization. Well, like, OK, what do you do? What are you doing most days? And most people aren't going by, you know, glaciers. Most people aren't spending a lot of time on water. Um, and those are the best use cases for a polarized lens. Um, it's really just a fight glare. That's it. And if you're not in those those scenarios, you don't need it. You can, you can save the money and, yeah, put it towards, you know, better compression socks or something. <laughs>
0: there you go. One more question on... Sort of photochromic lenses, and you're not, you have to give me a real answer here. Don't do the like, oh, it's both, right? You have to pick one. Do you think photochromic technology works better when it comes to low light conditions or the very bright end of that use spectrum? Um,
1: it depends. <laughs> yes. yeah. So uh, if I had to choose, right, if I had to choose what I do, because I mountain bike in New England, where it's like sometimes sunny, mostly raining overcast, <laughs> um, I would choose our high contrast, our one to three high contrast lens. I love that lens. It's an amber tint, pulls out contrast. It's Basically what I live
0: in 24-7. High contrast versus what? What's the other alternative here? Like you said, a one to three high contrast. Yep. And that's an
1: amber tint, right? Okay. So it's rose, yeah. rose color um, versus like a light amplifier, our light amplifier, which is a yellow tint. And that really like amplifies the light. It really pulls out the the light in the woods. If you're out in a field or anything, it's just going to be a, a yellow tint um, where it really where it really shines is in the woods you can kind of
0: see the The yellow light amplifier in the woods if you're riding dark woods you would say people you ought to be checking out the yellow lens the light amplifier yep
1: and then you've got our zero to three which is a gray tan it goes gray which is good like that's our our best all-around lens if you're riding at night you have a clear lens if you're riding you know in in open fields it goes to category three um and everything in between essentially and if if i had a choice it would be the high contrast lens that one to three high contrast. i really like the rose tint. it's soft your eyes can relax um and same on the goggles you know the the goggles it's that's the best lens Um, if i'm out in colorado if i'm going to be up in the alpine and it's just intense light, I'd I'd go for the two to four, the higher uh, VLT range or lower VLT range um, to offer more protection, essentially. Because if you're up in the mountains and, you know, you're riding, you know, a high alpine, you know, Colorado Trail, perfect example, um, you're still getting the photochromic VLT range. So you're getting that two down to or up to four, um, you're getting higher protection up at that higher alpine Up at those higher elevations, Um, so again, I would say it depends. In New England, I love the lower light stuff. Out west, you know, maybe if you're up in the high alpine, most of the time you're you should definitely be in that
0: that higher uh, VLT range. It's funny, I personally I haven't had my eyes checked in forever. I've been a little busy. I should I need to change this like quickly. But I find when I'm mountain biking and when i'm skiing if i have to sort of cheat one way i'm okay i would rather have a little less like i don't know completely appropriate you know perfect a perfect lens for when it's super bright because those runs where it's near the end of the day and you're you're just running into a really dark a, a, a section of woods on a bike ride that might be a lot of open, but that really dark section is where I find myself really struggling with visibility these days. So, I would rather optimize for those moments that they're not maybe 90% of the day, but they're kind of critical moments, right? Like rolling into dark woods and you can't really see that great doesn't feel awesome.
1: I would, I would forewarn anybody that is looking to sacrifice a little bit of protection, especially at high alpine you run the risk of burning your eyes. And I can tell you from experience, it is one of the most painful things that you can go through. And it doesn't just last for a day, it's several days of eyes
0: watering. Um, it's very, very painful. Um, I'm not talking about like rolling with a clear lens. Sure, sure. Dave got mad at me there. Even, even
1: a <laughs> public the, service announcement from Dave. the um, higher range of, a, of category three, you know, depending on, on the sensitivity of your eyes, you can still burn them, you know, maybe not to the, the, to the extent of just not wearing anything, but you can, people can still have reactions to the, the, you know, intensity of the light up there. So, you know, I just caution anybody. Um, but you know, in some ways I agree. Yeah. I, I agree with you. If, if I, if anything, if I'm going to sacrifice anything, it's going to be on the, the, the higher end of, of the, the categories. If you're having an Epic out there and you're, um, you know, coming down at night and you need that visibility. Yeah. You know, I,
0: I, I agree. And yet you prefer, even when we're talking about when I'm saying optimizing for those dark spots, you yourself said you would, you like to ride in new England with that category one to three high contrast Amber. Would you be suggesting for me the light amplifier yellow? Nope, I'd suggest the same. Okay. High contrast, yeah.
1: Because I, I think
0: it just offers a
1: much better experience. And what the light amplifier, again, it, it you know, I have this conversation with customers all the time, um, just kind of guiding them to what they want, what they really want. My recommendation is, is first that high contrast lens. Um, I also ride or or run um in the zero to three or clear to dark lens um you know so i i can speak to that uh, but i still guide customers to that one to three and you know it does take some convincing sometimes because you can still ride at night in that one to three the one to three light amplifier and the one to three high contrast I've ridden in them, I've skied in, in them both at night, zero issues, Mm. but some people just feel more comfortable knowing that that clear to dark, that's going to go fully clear and they're not going to have to, you know, um, think about any kind of lens tint or anything. Uh, so again, it just kind of comes down to preference, but my first recommendation is that high contrast that one to three high contrast.
0: I want to let you get back to your day soon. Leave us with a few parting thoughts, things you think we ought to know about, be thinking about before uh, before we end this conversation.
1: Yeah, I would just say, you know, anybody that is looking to upgrade their eyewear, do some research. You know, don't go to the, the hardware store and just pull off a rack sunglass or a gas station sunglass. Do some research. You know, there are brands out there that have really bad lenses. And I'm not saying like, Oakley or Smith, like those are bottom of the barrel lenses. They're good lenses. I, and maybe I'm biased and, and yes, I am biased, but Jolbo has the better lens offering. But again, go do some research. Make sure you're not just grabbing the, the coolest looking frame off, off the, the, the floor and without doing any research. Cause you could be grabbing a category four lens, skiing in New England, you're not gonna see anything. And I see people doing that. I see people doing that in Jolbo. Um, And, you know, just understanding a little bit of the the fundamentals and a little bit of the the technology behind any lens will go a long way. And, you know, honestly, don't get duped by uh, interchangeable lens systems. Um, And they, you know, and I shouldn't say that. I should say, again, do your research, but an interchangeable lens system will work for some people. But... Our technology works better than an interchangeable lens system. So just keep that in mind, you know, when you're out there doing your shopping and, you know, feel free to give us a buzz, call us, we'll explain the technology, we'll explain the lens technology. We've got a wide variety of frames that match, you know, any competition out there. So we can get you set up.
0: Well, Dave, thank you. Good being here and good hearing your take on sort of the optics landscape and, how Jolbo is trying to provide some solutions to this stuff. And I like the fact that we are, you know, we haven't on Gear 30 talked, I think, nearly as much about just the optics landscape and some of the technology differences as we could have or should have. And so um, I'm glad that we're kind of turning to this. And I think you've given people a lot to think about today. So thanks. Yeah,
1: thanks for being here. And uh, hopefully it opens up an opportunity for Gear 30 to dive a little bit deeper into the technology behind lenses.
0: Probably something we'll do. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Well, it is time now for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. It is currently just after midnight. So... Well, not just after midnight. So it is now Friday, August 19th at 12.45 a.m. I am in a hotel in Denver because I got in quite late. Uh, My morning started in New Hampshire. And what we're celebrating, I suppose, is I just wrapped up a phenomenal East Coast trip. Bouncing around quite a bit for meetings between New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine. I don't think I've been to New England since prior to the pandemic and it was just outstanding to be back I got to catch up with so many great people I got to meet so many great people and the meetings were incredible the conversations were incredible some of the stuff you are going to be hearing about perhaps on our crafted podcast just for example anyway it was wonderful being back there what a fantastic part of the country But the other thing I'm going to celebrate is tomorrow I get to be back in Crested Butte. And I have been gone a lot these past four months. And I am just jonesing to get back home and see my friends and do some riding around there. And so, man, it is a good time of life when you get to be really excited about the places that you get to go visit, like New England but then you're also super stoked to just get home and get back to your life there and the routine. And so um, it's all been really great. So tomorrow night when I make it back, I'm going to be raising a glass of whistle pig, probably piggyback to celebrate a great trip and a toast crested butte and just being home. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of gear 30. I want to say thanks to Dave for the very interesting conversation Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode and from the entire team here at Blister. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll be talking to you again this coming Monday over on our Blister podcast, where we've got part two of our Mountain Towns and Local Food Systems series for you. So tune in for that. Subscribe to the Blister podcast if you haven't already done so. And we'll talk to you all real soon. Bye, everybody.